Easter. Happy Easter. Which I didn't really know was Easter until how? halfway through the day. Wait, how did how did you not know that? Because every day is exactly the same mm. as it has been for the past few weeks. Every day is like yesterday. Yes. So cherish this lovely day, the day that Jesus went to the cloud. Happy Easter. <laughs> he did go to the cloud. So he does, did. So, wow. I never looked at it that way before. Yeah, I thought of that earlier today when I was out running. I was like, you know, Jesus was the first cloud computing pioneer. So he, so he's been computing for as long. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He he can tell you all about it because he has the most experience. You you have just now changed my life. I change a lot of people's lives in the way I think about things. And I'm I'm just Easter will now mean a whole new and different thing to you. It it does. It does. Yep. So happy Easter and welcome to Hope This Helps. That has helped. I also think yeah. now I need a t-shirt that says Jesus started the cloud. But that's for a different no. day. The first ascension to the cloud. <laughs> to the cloud. Although technically it, was, it wasn't technically today. It was kind of the start. So Jesus started his live migration to the cloud today, and it was completed about maybe 12 days later. It took time. It was a, it was a staged migration. Yeah, because he, he first had to pitch it to the business, mm. and the business didn't like it at first, and then he just decided to cowboy it and do it anyway. So he, and went, he went rogue? He spoke with his 12 dis- department disciple representatives and... After telling them the plan, he then just hit the button and migrated everything. And on the twelfth day, he was done. Mm. And that is the story of the first cloud migration. That's it. It's in the Bible. Go read it. <laughs> I don't even know what version it would be in. I can't even. Yeah, whichever one you want the the original one, the King James one. It's in the... all of them. The Joseph Smith one, I don't know. <laughs> it's the lost chapter. It's, yeah, it's there, and you'll find it, and you'll find the words Microsoft and Azure. And <laughs> AWS. AWS. It's all, it's all there. It's in the Bible. Go read it. Okay, <laughs> welcome to Hope This Helps, the most religiously offensive podcast, tech podcast on the market right now. Right, I think we just won an award for yes. most terribly offensive Yes, and as penance, what we are doing, though, is we are contributing to COVID-19 research by folding at home, and yes. we have, there's a team now. I can't take credit for making the team. Someone else made the team, but join the team. It's ID 209-894 if you want to join the, the our folding at home team. Join the team. There's only five of us in it. Yeah, so it. we're winning. It, it's highly competitive. And you don't have to really do much aside from just pay a higher electric bill every month. Or right. if you could just set up computers at a workplace and have them pay the higher right. electric bill, whichever one's up to you, you could just do that. I mean, and if you never turn your computer off or don't put it to sleep, so it doesn't matter if you never right. do that. Right. My computer's always on. I just have folding at home on in a light mode because mostly because my UPS really hates it if I turn it up any higher than that. So to get around that, I have it in light mode, but I have also a laptop also cranking it, and I'm going to be adding a few more computers to this cluster soon. I figured out remote access with the uh, FAH control app. That was fun. Oh, you did? Yeah. I had some trouble with it at first because it originally made it seem like all you had to do was forward the port and then connect to the client, but what you actually have to do is you have to allow an IP range or and or set a password. 
And even after that's done, you have to go into Windows networking settings and make sure the network you're on is not configured for public because the public network setting locks down a lot of stuff. And you then also have to make sure your firewall is open. And it's 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 unexpectedly complicated if you're mm-hmm. not prepared to look in all these different places. Because, you know, as I'm usually, I, I guess I've just had, I've worked with applications that have been easier to set up. But this one was unexpectedly difficult to get going. But now that I do have it going, I can just control all my computers in the folding at home cluster from one management application, which is nice. Oh, that's so nice. That's so, so much nicer. It is. And I'm happy with the happy with the results. And now I just have to sit and wait. And uh, the room with my computers is about ten degrees warmer than the rest of the house, so I just have some windows open all the time now. Mm. Well, if it is chilly, it has been windy, so that's probably helpful. Yes, it's um, yeah, windy and cooler. But in this room, it just feels good. If I open the windows in any other part of the house, it feels like it's freaking freezing. But mm. in this room, it, it kind of balances it out rather nicely. And luckily, there's no there's no heater temperature meters in this house in this room, so oh. that that doesn't really mess with the heat in the rest of the house, as far as I know. So, anyways, so yeah, that's the folding at home update and the heating my house update. Right. Look at that. It's too bad it's not winter. Yeah. So today. It's going to be a bit of a random topic episode because I honestly don't really have a whole lot prepared. I try not to be one who just reads news and talks about the news. So I'm kind of spitballing for things that I've done around the house in the time that I've been, you know, at home and with extra spare time. So what I recently went back to, which was something I might have talked about in a previous episode, was I went and I have a Linux VM, which is running peppermint os 10 which is a sorry peppermint os 10 respin which is based on ubuntu 18.04 long-term support which is kind of a lighter version of linux mint if there is such a thing which on real actual legacy hardware i have noted that it does run a little bit faster than linux mint and a little bit less buggier than linux mint and the interface the xfce on this distribution tends to play nicer with device uh, video drivers than um, XFCE Linux Mint. So that was nice. And what I recently also have been doing is I have it running in a VirtualBox VM on my Surface. And what I wanted to get done with this is I wanted to install Wine on it and get some legacy Windows applications Mm -hmm. running on it so I can finally retire my old and gross Windows XP games VM, which I really just want to stop using Windows XP for any reason whatsoever. Right. What games? What games? So my one of my test games usually is After Dark Games, which is by Sierra, Mm -hmm. because that one's kind of a it's a really portable. It's a portable executable, which just usually just runs. I have run it in Linux Mint before under Wine, and it just works. Other things, I other things like uh, Solitaire, Pinball. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I've tried. I think I've Mine, ho- Minesweeper. <laughs> Minesweeper is one of them. Yep. Um, the other one, probably Hoyle Board Games. I think one mm. of the CD-ROMs or Hoyle Board Games. I believe that works. It does work as a portable application already without the need for installing it. But oh. I should give that one a try. I also have a old 
Lionel Trains Transcon Transcontinental Railroad game, Whoa. which is kind of, it's it's really fascinating how this game is. It's sort of like a cross between like almost like Warcraft and edutainment history because there are parts of the game where you just have to you have to build a railroad to get from point A to point B and you have all these historical points of interest and financial calculations you have to make to build the railroad in the most efficient way and you have to almost do star trek style diplomacy when you're crossing these frontiers and that's that's part one of three of the gameplay in this game and the other so the second part is sort of the the rts style almost adventure style where you're put down in a um isometric perspective sort of in the vein of warcraft or a um Age of Empires or I don't know StarCraft that 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 kind of genre even the interface is very similar and if you even play League of Legends or something you're noticing you're kind of clicking around in the same way and you have to solve mis- there's like this sort of mystery on like some villain is going around and committing crimes and hindering your way to getting to the goal of you know getting across the US on the building this railroad and then the third part is like the interrogation and all kinds of stuff but this game was made in like 1996 and i played it on windows 95 98 all the way through xp and it does work on windows 10 and i wanted to see if i can get it working on linux but thus far i haven't even been able to get it to install because something in the installer just fails in the language selector and i reported it in the the wine database it seems someone else tested it a long time ago and claimed it worked but it looked like it was well over 10 years ago when this person tested it and it definitely doesn't work now so hmm. sad, sad face to that but i forgot all about that game yeah it's a it's a fun game it's not it's not really it's not incredibly great but it's one of those i played it as a kid and it's kind of nostalgic so no i just nice. forgot about it entirely you just there were a lot of, there were a lot of games like it too yeah but you said that name and it like triggered this place yeah, it was made by a company called Knowledge Adventure, and ironically, mm. their website is still up, and it's still—it's never been updated. It looks like it was built in the '90s and then just never was updated. That is probably very true. I don't know if the company is even around anymore. If just this website's just a ghost or what, but the ghost of the '90s. Mm-hmm. Da, da, so da. that's my wine update. I also this week have been trying to update some of my PowerShell functions to better work with MFA. I've been having some interesting problems crop up since I've been working from home and trying to run my own like PowerShell connection functions now that my accounts are enabled with MFA and it's sort of highlighting it they've it's not so much glitches, it's just unpreparedness in the function that I wrote where it would just kind of throw up an error and say, No, your account requires MFA and I had to do some research to make sure that I could fall back to a method of calling the connection function that would drop the credential file requirement or passing through a credential file. And rather, if you, if MFA was detected through a try catch, it would then offer up the correct um, commandlet call and then bring up all the proper prompts, which is really annoying because you can't automatically connect then with MFA. You cannot pass in credentials with MFA. You have to enter your credentials manually and enter the token manually. That's just the way Microsoft set it up. So, and it's 
especially annoying if you have a function that's trying to connect you to all the services at once because it seems like you can connect to exchange with mfa just fine and somehow that does pass into i believe it was either msol or azure mm. so somehow the mfa token will carry over to there but the third hop then doesn't doesn't use it and then it says hey please enter your credentials again please enter your mfa again so it's just kind of a it's a bit more of a manual endeavor to connect with mfa but i understand it's more secure but man when i'm working from home this is annoying yeah that doesn't seem very fun oh well that's just the the name of the mfa game and i got it working and i updated it so that's great i'm glad you got it working yeah Speaking of Microsoft SOL, there was an there was an incident, a couple of um, <laughs> this one, a couple of weeks ago, where there's a rather humorous incident with Azure DevOps, where they um, stated that they didn't acknowledge that there was a problem with uh, customers in Europe and the UK where there were delays in Azure DevOps for whatever built and releases. And what they stated was they didn't even notice this happened for about five hours. No, it was like a someone fell asleep at the keyboard. Yeah, and it said, this is substantially worse than our target of 10 minutes. <laughs> this is this acknowledgement, this lack of acknowledgement leads to frustration and confusion, and we apologize for that as well. Funny enough, the guys, the guy, the guy who posted this article, his name was Chad. Of course, it was Chad. I wonder it's, if it was a Chad who also missed it. It's always a Chad that delivers the bad news. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chad. Chad, Chad's always get the bad rap. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is this was the same issue where folks were writing articles about where Azure was experiencing capacity issues. It might not have been. This might have just been around the same time, March 24th to 26th. I think that's when they were, but I can't be certain. Yeah, I. It's possible it was just coincidental. But I, I don't want to speak to it. Yeah, I thought that was just a rather, rather amusing, amusing event that happened. That is very um, amusing. Yeah. What else did I do this what, week? What did this is turned into? What has Steve done this week? Yeah, this is. I'm literally just going down the list of things. I, I tried genuinely just to learn things this week or do mm. random other stuff i've been watching i've been going back and watching ignite talks and nice. stuff from this past november that i didn't get a chance to sit in i was trying to figure out the microsoft graph powershell stuff and i was able to i tried out the graph explorer feature oh you which did is cool i was able to pull some data on myself and what i really wanted to do was try to hook into powershell and see what i could do with it because i found a part of that of the graph explorer where you could pull your own email and it included the content of your email yeah and i thought ooh, this is cool that means maybe i could automate some reports where i pull data out of email where i previously couldn't before right and i unfortunately hit a brick wall because when i went to connect to the microsoft graph powershell extension um, it required admin approval to connect it to my org. Yes. So I unfortunately got, I ran to a brick wall because I couldn't, I couldn't proceed due to, you know, administrative overhead like that. So, mm. oh, well. The what, the graph uh, for Azure Active Directory is really good for PowerShell. Mm. I've That's been good. using that a lot and it's much nicer. I'm starting to now like get the grasp that they're, they're building all of the new commandlets just on top of graph and then just calling them the new commandlets. Right. Um, that, 
that does make a little more sense to me now where before it was a little mystifying yes because what one article that microsoft has references them as the azure ad graph commandlets and i'm like these right. are just regular <laughs> ad commandlets i mean ad uh, powershell commandlets because it's just saying uh you just connect active uh a azure ad and i'm like okay so this is just normal it's just using graph in the back end yeah i think it's possible they that might be where they're headed just connect a graph to get to mm -hmm. everything else but we'll make that, it, that might be okay yeah if i don't have to like learn a whole new language i will be okay with that yeah and there's been some yeah there's been some thought where it kind of unifies the commandlets a little more mm -hmm. and allows them to update things without having to break a bunch of stuff or update a bunch of smaller pieces of this whole ecosystem so that's right nice. right it lets you manage the substrate which is i think what they call that whole pile of data i previously thought it was just known as sharepoint oh a bunch of unorganized office 365 data i thought that was just sharepoint but apparently they're calling it the office 365 substrate now oh so basically a database administrator's nightmare yeah basically a really really cluttered gross database in the cloud that microsoft manages and doesn't tell you how much of a cf it really actually is Substrate is a good name for it. It is. Yeah, I kind of like that name. It sounds scientific. It does. It, it does sound very scientific. Mm -hmm. Very biology and chemistry driven. It's like a living organism with all the gross mm. guts just piled up on top of it. Right. I guess that's a perfect analogy for Office 365 data. Just all the guts everywhere. Mm -hmm. Security nightmare. That too. Yeah, we, we don't too. talk we don't like to talk about that because we want to sell it to you. We'll tell you about right. the security issues long after you've purchased the, the A five or A three or whatever. Right. You and then we can tell you how we can fix them. Right. <laughs> we'll tell you what we can sell you to fix these other problems. Right, because we know they're there. That's that's the that's the way you make a good sale and keep 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 the money flowing in. <laughs> keep on keeping on. Yeah. As which was famously said one point in life. Speaking of not keeping on, can anybody tell me why when I try to do a spotlight search in iOS, I get a prompt that literally shows up for about two seconds and then disappears saying something about some app has been using my location in the background and asks me if I want to allow it or not. But before I can even get the chance to move my finger down to respond to this box, it just immediately disappears. Have you gotten that? I have, but I can't tell you why it happens. It's it's been this is sort of one of those random grind my gears moments because it's like I'll try to search something on my device and it just pops up and I'm like, oh, I w wish I could have responded to that, but I barely even know what it said because it disappeared before I could yep. see what it was. And I'm like, is that the right thing? Now I can't remember what I was looking for because I'm just deeply distracted. Yeah, so that's my that's my weekly ios complaint of mm. of the of the week is why why is this location prompt showing up and immediately disappearing because i'm not a robot i can't read that i don't even know what it asks i just want it i want it to kind of stick around for a bit so i can actually respond to it right no I'd, I'd file a bug but i don't feel like it nah you you complain enough yes okay so so twitter twitter have you so when you've logged into you use twitter more than i when yeah. you logged into twitter did you get that weird box that was really confusing saying we changed a bunch of stuff and we got rid of a bunch of privacy stuff but we might have fixed other stuff have yeah you... and that's exactly how i read it was stuff and more stuff and stuff 
Yeah, it was... God, I have it up. It's the control that you have over what information Twitter shares with its business partners has changed. Specifically, your ability to control mobile app advertising measurements has been removed, comma, but you can control whether to share some non-public data and improve Twitter's marketing activities on other sites and apps. And then, blah, 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 usual, these changes are reflected in your settings. But that's just like, what? But that what? Just, that, that doesn't make you feel good. It's like, what do you mean you removed a setting? What do you mean I can control what I share to other, what? Wait, I couldn't do that before? Yeah, you mean you weren't, uh. And there was something else I read that there used to be an opt-out feature. I don't know if it's still there or not, but I guess apparently the opt-out feature was not working for a long time. And Twitter waited until its latest earnings call to disclose, till after the earnings call to disclose that they had fixed the bug, which then what? it dropped their stock, but it was after the earnings call, so it didn't matter. They, right. You know, so that's pretty, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of weird, Twitter. I thought you were, I thought you were kind of cooler about this, but this is kind of. That's like a, not, fa- that's a Facebook move right there. That, that's a very Facebooky, a, a, scumbaggy move a that Zuckerberg I'm not, not a move. fan of. Yeah, you're pulling a Zuck. Don't Zuck up. This is a Zuck up. So be on the lookout for that and keep an eye on the privacy settings on Twitter. I almost don't use Twitter at this point, so I don't... It's not really here nor there to me, but if you're heavily invested in this, I'd say watch it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Another weird, strange, changing news. So Firefox made an interesting... I call it interesting change to its address bar, which at, in the grand scheme of things is probably the biggest third, uh, first world problem out of everything here. But it's more of a touchscreen friendly adjustment to the address bar in Firefox, but a lot of folks are upset that A, you can't revert this change. There's no option to go back to the old one. And B, when you click on it, it's just kind of unsightly, it's large it covers up a lot of the ui at where the old one didn't and particularly just clicking into it in the first place just drops it down over whatever you're doing where the old one before wouldn't do that until you start typing or making changes which would logically call that the address bar so a lot of folks are up in arms about it there's a lot of threads and there's even a big bug thread and there's been some dubious back and forth between uh, the community and Mozilla. There's been accusations that Mozilla is not really caring about the complaints of the users and it's just kind of closing these threads without any further discussion. And it's just kind of a strange place to be in. Personally, I'm not super affected by this change. I do think the new one wasn't, it's not incredibly visually appealing to me, but having a touchscreen computer, I kind of get the usabilities part of it where it is kind of nice where on a touchscreen I can actually hit that address bar easier now with a finger. We'll see how it shakes out. I don't really have much of an opinion on it just yet, but it'll be kind of a kind of a thing to watch out for. Right. No, that does seem really annoying. Firefox. Yeah. They've been changing yeah. stuff now for a while. I get that they're super security focused, but they make annoying changes all the time. Yeah, my I my I had my big moment with Mozilla a while back when they changed it, when they launched Firefox Quantum and they dumped all the legacy extensions out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that that part kind of cheesed me off quite a bit where there were a lot of really good legacy extensions that dug deep into Firefox and made really good changes. You could alter the UI way more pre-Quantum. 
you could set there was just so much more customizability and quantum just ripped a lot of that out and this pointless endeavor to try to chase chrome's market share and i'd rather firefox just do its own thing and not try to be chrome not try to do these pointless rapid re releases and reinvent the wheel or try to just be like everybody else firefox should just do its own thing and allow the users to customize things to its will and yeah, that was my complaint from back then. So any changes now, I'm just kind of like, whatever. Mozilla is just going to do its thing now. I really wish they'd listen a bit more because they kind of really should at this point with a lower market share. They really should. I mean, they had a great browser probably 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I still like their browser for the privacy angle. But Agreed. There's just, Agreed. There's just been some longstanding problems that just still haven't been fixed with them. Agreed. I'm with you 100% on that. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. So I don't know if you so see. Cobol. Yeah, COBOL. So this one is really interesting and funny because a couple of years ago, I was having a discussion with a couple of friends and we were laughing about how COBOL will someday make its appearance because there are some legacy systems somewhere that use this. Well, the state of New Jersey has put out basically an SOS for anybody who knows COBOL. They are actually now, um, anyone who files for unemployment, they are offering this as a class to take lessons in COBOL. Oh, wow. <laughs> and because they don't have anyone to run their legacy systems. That is awesome. Yeah, COBOL is job security. I'm, sh I'm pretty sure COBOL stands for job security somewhere in all those letters in the C-O-B-O-L. I think there's yeah. probably a J. There's a J and an S somewhere, somewhere inside COBOL. Somewhere. It's silent. It's part of learning the language. It is. That is, if you learned COBOL and you are still alive and you're still willing to, to, to wrangle with it, man, this is, it's been a, it's a good time to be alive and work on COBOL. Let me tell you. Just brush off those mainframe systems. <laughs> yes. And it's mostly, you know, if it's ingrained in a government system or some big, I don't know, just some big system where it just was programmed as a set it and forget it. And then folks moved on and COBOL, I'm sure it, you know, it evolved. It, I'm not sure if it evolved or if folks just went on to C or C++ or the object oriented languages, but COBOL. But COBOL, <laughs> just do it. No, that's Nike. Mm -hmm. Don't just do it. So your mm -hmm. Raspberry 3.14. See, ah, I see what you did there. Raspberry oh, Pi. Yeah. Ha ha. 3.14159264. So, yeah, I have a slight update on the Raspberry Pi situation mm. that I have. It's all good. It's all good things. So the experiment with the Raspberry Pi NAS has been a complete success where I have successfully moved all my data to it. And now I'm just kind of adding things onto it. I'm nice. trying to get all of my my wish list part of my projects for this NAS completed. Mm. So I've been slowly checking them off here and there. I wanted to get Plex running off of it, which I am doing, which I in the process learned Docker and how to set up containers and more recently how to update said containers. And I'm just kind of it's, it's kind of nice to learn something brand new again. This kind of feels, it's kind of a similar feeling to when I learned VMs for the first time. And now I'm just oh. kind of learning the whole, the whole system of containers and how they differentiate from VMs and how they read data, how they're protected, how to update them, 
how to do something where you have Plex reading my certain data off of my NAS and sharing it out and then updating it as Plex updates almost bi-weekly, it seems, or at least it sure feels like it when I log right. into Plex and I'm always behind on an update. But I figured out how to at least consistently update it through the command line and through Portainer where I can just pull it from the central repository using Docker Compose or Docker Pull, or I forget exactly what, I think it was Docker Pull was the command. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. So if you're running Open Media Vault on the Raspberry Pi, yeah, Plex in the, Plex in a container is a really nice feature. And the other night I was watch, I was streaming some media off of it, worked like a charm, and I'm overall impressed. My second project is I want to be able to access my non-music videos, photos data on my NAS. And how do you do that securely is the biggest question of all, because I've researched a lot of ways where you can rather insecurely open up your NAS to the internet through port forwarding or direct remote things. But I, none of it really felt good to me. I was looking at this and I was, my first thought was how could how could this completely come back to bite me? And after kind of carefully hunting around the internet, I settled upon, and what most people settled upon is you run OpenVPN, which oh. is sort of the, the, the wrapper around your entire network. You connect with that, make sure you have a good, you know, TLS configuration with only, you know, minimal, minimal entry points with one authenticated user have that super locked down. So I'm going down that path. I have it configured at this point and I have, I still have to forward the port of my router, but I've been hesitant at the moment because due to, you know, the situation we're in, I'm not really away from home all that much. And I don't really want to open it up until I have the opportunity to test it away from home. So we'll have more on that later. And eventually, hopefully I'll have, I'll have remote access configured with OpenVPN and then I can do my shared map drives from anywhere or connect with the phone through SMB via the VPN, which will be nice. That is awesome. And it is. It is. That sounds something really sweet. Yeah. You know, give me, give, give me time at home to work on things like this. And this mm -hmm. is what I come up with. You become then, like Einstein. And then lastly is been another add on of sorts where I wanted to figure out, is there any better way I could back up my data? Currently, I do have a functioning method for this where I just leverage Windows and the SyncBack program where I've been using this for years and years and years where you SyncBack, you just point it at your shares or folders and as long as you have your backup drives connected, it'll just happily back it up and it'll work just fine. This has been working with the NAS as well, but my I've had a couple issues with permissions probably translating from the Linux file system to Windows here and there. It's been ironically with my podcast folder for my Zoom, for the Zune software. And I'm not quite sure if it is particularly the file system translation or if it's just something that went haywire when I moved the data or not. I can I can kind of fix it manually and I'm it might be just ACLs or whatever, but mm. I'm trying to look up to see if there's a more native way that the Raspberry Pi can handle it itself. And I've been swirling between a couple of options, which there are some open media vault plugins and there's also our, you know, there's good old rsync or I was like, maybe I could just PowerShell some RoboCopy stuff together, mm, you could do but that. I'm still kind of weighing my options and kind of playing around some, 
some potential solutions for that. I wrote a robocopy function, which can back up my data to my external drives. And that's been working largely okay. But mm-hmm. the way I've been setting up the recursion is it's kind of logging way too many log files. So I have to work that out in my head a little bit more. Yeah, so that's my backup strategy for my NAS. It's been largely okay. Unfortunately, my my um, the rule of three backup currently is not working so well for me. My third backup, which is usually backup to a cloned external hard drive and bring it to another location for offsite backup, that's currently shot right now because I can't really leave my house and I can't deliver it to the destination that I normally store it at. So, oh well. Someday that'll that'll get recommissioned, but mm. until then I have I have all my backups under the same roof, which is it is what it is, I guess. Right. No, that makes sense. That that is my Raspberry Pi update for the week slash month. It's still still humming along. No, it's awesome. It sounds really really productive and fantastic. It is. So, um, we have a sponsor this week. Yeah. <laughs> So I uh, hope this helps this week is helped by Snowcloud. Only we can make cloud migrations a downhill event. I think it's appropriate. <laughs> that one's my favorite one. That one is so good. I want I didn't make this one up. I think you I think you wrote this at some point. I oh think that's probably so why good. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So this is probably this is probably a new one. No, I honestly like all of them. They're pretty good. We've been we've been doing pretty well so far with, with these fake sponsors. We're just really good at dad jokes. We are, yeah. So dad joke sponsors that is our our mo that is our our wheelhouse that's pretty much all we know how to do the dad jokes i can't do anything else with dad jokes i'm just kind of a big tech fraud with dad jokes i've made it this far on dad jokes yeah i'm pretty sure all i know how to do is dad jokes so thanks so much for Snowcloud for sponsoring this week's show of hope this helps yay hope this helps yay so this week i am Oh, teams. So teams, teams, teams. I am so excited. No, I actually really do like teams quite a lot. Um, But it is getting a lot of really new, awesome features, which I think will help everybody in a lot of various ways. Yeah, I think competition is good. And being forced into competition Mm -hmm. this fierce is also really nice. Yes. So I, as much as I love teams, I think it was lacking in a few crucial spots. It was. It was. In the areas where Zoom was fantastic, teams didn't have yet. And I really think that helped to deploy and push Microsoft faster on getting some of those roadmap items through and completed faster. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, if you have something just eat its lunch, particularly with the. Uh, uh, take you know taking away the market share of the flag of the flagship product that Microsoft used to champion around, which was Skype for consumers. Now Zoom has just taken that away. So now Microsoft's finding itself where it needs to really get Teams both you know beefed up for the enterprise as well as for consumers because Teams was largely an enterprise product up to this point. And now I think now they're trying to roll it out for consumers the best they can to be kind of like Slack's competitor. Or right. Whatnot. And and Teams has a lot more to offer. It's just you have to know that it's there. Yeah, I think my that's a problem I have with Teams is discoverability. There's a lot of little things like tabs or apps or whatever, but a lot of times a lot of people just think Teams is a chat and video app, and they don't realize it can do so much more. 
it really can. It's a full on collaboration suite with so many amazing features baked into it that I do really believe are underutilized. And a lot of it comes down to organizations being afraid to make that jump or not understanding a lot of the functionality that is built into it, or they're just gung-ho on having certain features that just are not there yet. Exactly. Um, I know in particular, I think what I've been trying to really remember that it even exists um, this past week was the Microsoft Planner app in teams where you mm-hmm. can assign tasks to folks because i think i got a, i got a task assigned to me by someone who is using the feature in teams and i remember i forgot it even existed i was like oh yeah this is a thing this is actually really nice but teams doesn't really do a particularly great job at kind of bringing that to the forefront or even notifying you half the time i just feel like teams's notification system could be a little better the way it updates and assigns things to you could be a little bit more right at the forefront that it currently is and i don't really know how to improve it it's just something i just know the current system is a little bit lacking so one of the things that i had done previously inside of teams with planner was i used flow it's what power automate now yeah it's power um i'd used flow to set up a bunch of flows or whatever to uh, every time I flagged something in Outlook, it would create a planner item, and then I then linked it to a channel. Oh yes. So then I had almost like a workflow built in. So every time I made an update or a change, so if I was spending most of my time inside of Teams, I could follow through and follow basically any changes I was making and set daily reminders to set planner email notifications so it was a full cycle oh that's really nice yeah i should should really set that up because my outlook is a mountain of flagged items i'd like to get that into a better system than just flagged items and what's really cool too is you can actually configure the how it looks inside a planner so if you take the email you can configure all the html and all the fun stuff in power automate um that that is fun i should i should play with that so i know it previously you and i had talked about things not really knowing how to use it those kinds of workflows that help make your life easier are really where i find the most benefit of that kind of solution Mm, indeed of taking things that i know i forget and putting them into tools that will help me organize my life because i forget that they exist too that is adhd Mm. at its finest that is (laughs) what power automate is for Teams really needs a just a big button in the top in the top right that's available no matter where you are in the application that just says organize my life. Yes, fix my life, please. A fix my life button for Teams, yes. Microsoft. Microsoft, hear us out. So, uh, um, so it, what else do we got going on? But in April, Teams is getting it should be rolling out. I think very soon this week if it hasn't already backgrounds custom uh, backgrounds yes and um and was it end the meeting for everyone is end the meeting seeing? for everyone how cool yeah. is that i think i was in a team's meetings once where the meeting ended but like people just kind of lingered and it wasn't clear if we were all set or not and it was kind of awkward right. so also to I, being able to mute specific people i i am always the one who needs to be muted I'm not going to lie uh, oh jeez, yeah yeah I know when, um i've been in 
plenty of zoom calls lately where it's like screaming children or something and it's just nice to you know maybe just mute them right for a little bit well one of the features in the roadmap also coming out and i'll link that in the show notes i'll have to find it is um it's being developed but i had read some articles online about how it could be end of April, early May for background noise reduction. So it's not going, it's going to be able to do dynamic background noise reduction. So Skype and other apps have always been able to do uh, basic noise reduction. So like computer fans, uh, window, like wind and stuff like that. But this applies something like a low pass filter something like that. Yeah, so now they're actually going to use their AI and take common sounds like children, dogs, and every time it picks up on that noise, it's going to put it into AI and the noise reduction will get better over time. But I'm pretty excited about that feature. That's nice. I wonder if um, that involves any delays, like if it's like an invisible applied delay on all incoming um, video and audio streams, which then goes to Microsoft's AI cloud thing, whatever, and it provides post-processing on that, do you think? And then it distributes it out, you know, in real time and insanely fast milliseconds, you know. Yeah. Micro micro delays like that. I'm wondering if that, that happens. You know how like in a live broadcast is not truly like one to one live. They have a slight delay in case like someone like on a sports, you know, like in a football game, if, they, if there's like swearing or something, they have right. a couple seconds to catch it. I wonder if it's like that for AI in these meetings where you can just provide the audio post processing on it. That'll be amazing. Oh, it looks like it, it is was actually announced announced. So that should be coming as well. Yeah, this link here, it looks like this is just the release notes and it stops at April 10th. But yeah. it might be it might be on its way out on its way out the door. Then they're also going to they're also working on the low broadband connections. So that way you can also work in off offline mode as well as if you um, have low bandwidth connections, which is very common one of the biggest complaints with Skype for Business and other chat apps is, or video conferencing apps is the poor quality. So being able to support low bandwidth will be huge. I've had particular problems with Teams. Teams tends to eat more bandwidth than RingCentral mm. and Zoom to me. I've noticed when I've been in a video or audio call with Teams, I experience more drops and lag than I do with Zoom, oddly enough. And I'm not sure if it's trying to offload more stuff onto my own computer or what. But yeah, that'll be a welcome change if they can do anything yes. to to alleviate that. So Teams is very interesting on the, the back end side of it is there's a lot of stuff to that can hurt the call quality. For example, if you're not using split tunnel VPN. So if you're connected to the VPN, Teams actually, or any chat application or video conferencing application will see substantial reduction if you're going through the VPN. One of Microsoft's recommendations is to use split tunneling and actually uh, filter out all of the media content and not go through VPN at all for the media. So they have specific port recommendations for how to filter the audio out for quality. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that should 
Yeah, because a lot of folks are on the VPN now, so that, that mm-hmm. any anyone that doesn't have that correctly configured, that that'll be a nice thing to have. Yeah, I can actually share all of that with you as well, and we can put it in the show notes. It's a very complex topic that I could probably spend a full hour talking about call 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 quality, and there's some really cool CQD call quality data templates and stuff that use bi and the the call quality dashboard is also worth really looking into and diving into it because you can really see um and steve i think next time as well like maybe tomorrow try taking a call off of vpn and see if you notice those differences yeah yeah that'll be something usually well actually believe it or not i'm actually always taking calls off the vpn Mm -hmm. Because um, I'm doing this thing where I have my desktop and my mm. work laptop. And my work laptop is actually doing very little when it comes to actual um, worky things. I have my work laptop on the VPN and I connect to v- resources inside the VPN. But I'm running Teams and Outlook and anything cloud-based on my desktop, which A, has more monitors and B, is more powerful than my than my laptop. So actually, by default, I am off the VPN for most things. But I, one of these days, I should try I should try to see the difference. But if other people are also uh, using the VPN to connect, it's um, it was explained to me almost like going to Europe and back. So if you were, oh, because, it ha- because the call has to then be routed back to your on-premise and then back out and through the Microsoft data center and then back to your house. Oh geez, yeah, that's that's a that's quite a round trip. Yes, and if you're using a proxy, you even want to bypass that call data through your proxy. Oh, fun! So yeah, because most people are not, they don't have the setup that I have where no. I'm doing dual dual computers, some VPN, some not. You know, so not everyone's doing what I'm right. doing. And in the call quality dashboard, you can actually break down. I could pull up your call if I could get, if I had access to your tenant and I could pull up your call in the call quality dashboard and I could literally see how fast the call is and compare it. It'll tell you if the call quality was poor and it'll tell you what headset you were using, the network connection. I could tell if you were on VPN or off VPN and there's a lot of really cool things that you can see that could help determine where some of those call quality issues are especially if you could pinpoint a call where that was being dropped all the time because it might not be you oh yeah it's i i I don't usually suspect that it's me in in calls but sometimes it is so yeah Yeah. never know yeah it'd be nice to have the final determination as to whose side was the one that was right and sometimes it'll tell you too like it was a poor headset bad mic um, and it will even pull pull the headset data and tell you what kind of headset they were using if it could pick it up. Um, so there's... It'd be cool if it could if it could just you know um, just if there could just be something under everyone's name that says what mic they have, so I could just broadcast mm. that I have a podcast mic and everyone else has a potato mic. Right, get a real mic, potato <laughs> person. So there's um, a lot of cool stuff in Microsoft Teams. Okay, nice. what else was I going to talk about? There's more in Teams. I could go on a, like, a call quality tangent for forever and ever and ever. So that's there's also ring. going to be a, a raise your hand feature that's going to be rolled out. That is desperately needed mm-hmm. right now in Teams. I think, is it, 
I think also they need to work on the grid view. Yes. That whole four to a. I think they're expanding it to eight. Mm-hmm. I personally think they need to expand it even more, but I guess it's it would be nice to get it greater than four right now. Yes, eight would be better, but even more would be fantastic. Right. I was in. I think I was in like a fifteen-person teams meeting the other day, Ooh. and it was miser. It was miserable. It was like I couldn't tell who was talking, who wasn't talking, or if someone who wasn't talking was, you know, still trying to right. do things on the mic or on the on the camera. And it was it was a, it was really bad. It was not a good showing for teams. I did see a user voice for that, and then on top of that, in addition. Teams chat pop out windows. Hooray! Oh, yes. Desperately needed. I, I need that. I need that a lot. I'm sick. Of, I do like a single window experience, but there's times where I need more than one. Mm-hmm. As someone who is a a very much so multitasker, I need that in my life. Right. Or if I just need to view two things in Teams at once or cross-reference mm-hmm. or not have to click back and forth because Teams kind of can be a little bit slow when you're clicking between things. So I mean, just have a multi-window feature without having to work around it by opening the browser interface or doing something weird like that. So it's all really good things. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited. Use Teams. For all the things it will get better it keeps getting better they're constantly working on it they are not not, not to sound redundant but <laughs> it's getting a lot of attention hope so yes. yeah because I, I believe they're trying to roll it out for consumers it already kind of was available for free as a separate non-enterprise solution but now they're trying to yeah make that more of a thing to compete with the slack mm-hmm. uh worlds and hangouts and, and losing their skype market share right so. right and on that note get rid of skype please please don't use modes that are terrible island yeah. any of the others just don't get rid of skype mode. just get rid of it it's time to cut over now is the time no more island modes no more no more one foot in no one yeah. foot in the past one foot in the future put both feet in right. the future right you don't get to put one foot in the grave nope. no no both you got bo- both feet in both feet going there's no getting back out when you push a bird out of the nest you don't you don't have right. it to keep one leg in the nest right that doesn't then it would have a broken leg mm-hmm. the bad idea bad idea just get rid of it i don't terrible idea i have no other words other than just get rid of it so fun enough so the exchange team has been pushing find time recently which is a really cool tool and i it's much needed however i don't really understand the push about it yeah this sounds weird to me this sounds like a hokey like third party officer 65 extension it's been in it was so to be fair it was they put it in there um within the last year but it it was a hokey officer. It was a hokey Outlook extension. And literally, all it does is just it's just like the proposed new time feature for external recipients. Is that literally all this is? Yes. That's weird. But it's, I don't understand. That. It's really useful at the same time. It's kind of weird, but it's also useful because yeah, yeah. how many times do you, do you send around an email chain of okay i can do two o'clock okay no i can do three o'clock but this yeah just with external people right and this just lets you pick a couple slots and then everyone pick their favorite and then it will automatically assign the meeting based on the number of votes well, that's 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 nice i guess 
So it is very useful. It's just, I don't understand the push for it. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, and I mean, I'm sure it's a nice feature, but it's kind of like, was this really being asked for far and wide by a lot right. of people? Right. I think, um, is this like Pokemon? I mean, I think there's, yeah, I think there's other better enhancements that could be made to sending out meeting requests, mm-hmm. like more pressing things like large amounts of people when you send a meeting request to like 3000 people, like yeah. the current exchange kind of doesn't really handle it that well right now. And no. sort of a workaround is you try to do it through teams, but I really think maybe that should be a more pressing, pressing thing to do, especially with online all hands meetings. But or, here's your thing though. You're still using the exchange calendaring, right? It doesn't ever, it, it doesn't stop using the exchange. Huh? It just continues to... Yeah, it's still it's still all the calendaring, the calendar processing. Because hmm. that was one of the yeah. questions recently I had to deal with was uh, calendar notification suppression. So when you do convert everyone over from island mode or any other mode, you have to convert the Skype calendars, all the previous calendars, over to Teams meetings. And... All of your recipients receive notifications again. Oh, that's fun. Because the calendar processing. Oh, God, that's gross. Calendar processing is horrible. Calendar processing sucks. Yeah, it's like if you make a slight mistake, suddenly you're blasting out people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Notifications. Yeah, as you've known before, that happens all of the time by accident. Delegates will do it. They'll add a phone by accident. Groups, mi- groups. Microsoft Groups will do it. It, it's really easy to mess with calendars in ways that you don't want. I've learned, yeah, I've learned weirdly one of the scariest things in Exchange is the calendar system because one wrong, one false move and suddenly everyone you hear that that thing in Outlook yes. where it's like, wait a minute, why did I get this? And the nurse just panic in the streets. Yes, and hysteria. And it's extremely complicated. The calendaring, pro- the calendar processing, and how it works, and the all all of it is not easy. Yeah, not at all. You, I feel like you have to have like a rocket science degree to do mm-hmm. Microsoft Exchange calendaring or just calendaring. Yeah, in general, just calendaring just calendaring there should should be certification in exchange calendaring Mm -hmm. not even exchange just exchange calendaring just calendaring that is it it's a specialized role it could be like a dba like no i'm good at calendars man hire me me. you probably could in large organizations have someone who just did calendaring all day i think there would be enough work to do it probably exists yeah it could be its own role it does it sound a little crazy? Yes. Exchange calendar liaison. Right. What one. What do you do? Kind of like that. I'm a calendar admin. <laughs> calendar so, specialist. So what? You're like an executive assistant? No. <laughs> you're like a secretary? No. No. I'm the IT person for calendars. I do exchange things. Oh, I, I do exchange. Oh, so you do Skype? No. Oh, you do Skype. Yeah, you do Skype. Hey, I have a computer at home that has exchange email. I have email. The post office comes every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that role could be nice, but it could spiral out of control if people get too busy right. or think right. it does more than it actually does. But, but exchange is too broad. Oh, so you know how to do everything. No, no, I don't. No, I actually don't. But I kind of do. 
I roll. Depends. When it bleeds an officer 65, then all bets are off. It could be literally anything. Officer 65 is kind of like whose line is it anyways, where everything is made up and the points don't matter. Right. It's whatever product you want it to be. Yeah. Who do you want to be today? Anyways. So, wow. We just rambled on for an hour and this was supposed to be our short week. Yeah. I think, yeah, we ended up finding more to talk about mm-hmm. than I think we, than we could have ever expected. Right. So the question of the week is, what is the best Zoomer team's custom background to date? I've, I have a couple, well, I stole a bunch off Twitter. I know you there did. Was, yeah, there's a bunch of really cool ones. Like there's the, like the fire background from the, this is fine meme. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of blue screens of death and I've been more, I don't have a real I don't have a wall around me where my webcam is where I can change the background all that much, but I wear green shirts in meetings and I just change my shirt, mm. <laughs> which is I change my shirt color using the background feature, which is nice. This is everything is fun. Have you used the feature at all? No, I don't do video conferencing, but I think. Oh, that's right. But once uh, Teams adds backgrounds in, I think I'm just going to start putting random backgrounds and just doing video calls just to throw people off. That's a good idea. Yeah. Just I that. really like the crazy ex-girlfriend background. That one. Yeah, I've seen that, <laughs> that one. That meme one's... gets me every time. Or the one with the dude looking behind at the checking the girl out. That one is so Oh, good. yes. Yes, that one <laughs> that is. That one is so good. That is a classic. I did see one the other day also where it was um, one of the Zoom moving ones because you can do the dynamic backgrounds. And oh. it was this guy walking in on himself. And oh, I saw that one. That one was so good. Yeah. I um, I noticed your computer has to be able to support it, I think, because mm-hmm. I've had a couple. I was on a laptop and I got a warning from Zoom saying your computer doesn't have a good enough processor to support virtual backgrounds so you gotta have a good enough computer to support some of this stuff yeah i literally just opened up my my folder of saved backgrounds and one is literally just an aisle of toilet paper um there's some with the four ghostbusters there's a still from the sonic the hedgehog movie where it's the two of them in a car with a with a gap in the middle so it looks like they're both just staring at the at, at you that's amazing um this is still from from a queen album there's a couple of nintendo 64 stills there's the shrek 2 dvd menu which is like a brady bunch grid whoa <laughs> that's pretty good and a couple of SpongeBob SquarePants ones. Mm. I've got a I've got a Guy Fieri one. Whoa. I got an I got an Oval Office one. I got a Prison Cell one. That's yeah, I got I got a lot of good ones. I got I gotta I gotta have an opportunity to use some of these. Yeah, that's why I figure I'm just going to start just doing video conferencing. Yeah, and, just to even and just like put random backgrounds on. Yeah, just for just for the ability to, to just use to that. say that I can and to see what people do right i just just the reaction i just like the reaction that and that alone will be enough for me to be okay that twitter feed is awesome though yeah i gotta check in on that again i Mm. looked at it a couple weeks ago but i'm sure there's a bunch of new ones now i couldn't find it the other day when i went to i I have it saved somewhere i can probably link it in the show notes or or dig it out somewhere so yeah, rate us on iTunes. I saw someone someone did. Or at least I when I clicked into the podcast, I saw like one or two ratings were posted. So that's awesome. 
yeah, rate us on iTunes if you feel like it. We have a website, htspc.com. We got blogs and show notes and things. I posted a new blog post today. I sat outside on my back deck and I just banged out a blog on how to, on a primer on GitHub and very basics of GitHub desktop and how to do basic repository creation, changes, pushes, pulls, things like that. So I wrote that today. So hope this helps.